This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 329. Brave, be courageous, but whatever you do, don't try to be perfect because that's what makes life interesting. <laughs> and it's what allows us to sort of stay on this never ending journey of personal growth. Hey, thanks for being here. I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast I've created to help with your personal and professional growth because I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then you need to be an intentional and consistent reader. So with that in mind, I've designed the podcast to help narrow your reading list and bring you key insights and valuable ideas from people who I think are some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. If you're in need of a new lens through which to view your planner or calendar or like me, yours is missing something and you're just not quite able to put your finger on it, then today's book and guest is for you. I'm talking about Molly Fletcher and her new book, The Energy Clock. Three simple steps to create a life full of energy and live your best every day. I'm going to ask Molly to share about how to conduct your own energy audit and why you'd want to in the first place, the importance of managing your energy around the uncontrollable, the advantages of embracing imperfection, and plenty more. You might be one of those folks who color codes your calendar depending on the project or maybe the area of life that you're working in at any given time. I personally have tried some of those variations and none of them have quite worked for me. But with Molly's version of this, something for me just clicked. I feel like I've found the missing piece, the icing on the cake, if you will, to my already solid calendar and planner system. Well, Molly Fletcher is a trailblazer in every sense of the word, a rare talent of business wisdom, relationship brilliance, and unwavering optimism. As a popular keynote speaker, she shares the unconventional techniques that helped her thrive as one of the first female sports agents in the high-stakes, big-ego world of professional sports, and now as a successful entrepreneur. CNN called her the female Jerry Maguire as she's recruited and represented hundreds of sports' biggest names. In the process, she's managed to observe and adopt the traits of those at the top of their game. Her latest book, her fifth, is called, again, The Energy Clock. Three simple steps to create a life full of energy and live your best every day. Well, Molly, I'm excited to, to have you here. Welcome officially to my podcast, this thing called Read to Lead. Glad to have you here. Absolutely, Jeff. Thanks for having me. When I first began familiarizing myself with your book, first of all, I love the way it feels in my hand. I'm a big fan of, of how books feel, how they look, how they make me feel when I, when I read through them. And I really like how your book is designed. When I, when I first looked at it, I assumed wrongly that, uh, well, this is going to be a book about fitness and diet and exercise and those kinds of things. That's, that's kind of threaded throughout the book. But what's, what's the real thesis behind the book, if you will? Yeah, you know, so so Jeff, it really is a is a result of I spent about twenty years as a sports agent representing, you know, almost three hundred athletes and coaches um, and broadcasters with a team of agents, and I, I lived in a world every day where I saw the linchpin for performance was energy. You know, I mean, the best golfers in the world, the best baseball players in the world, the best coaches in the world, they were incredibly intentional about where and who they gave their energy to and why. And, and the result of that, with the ones that did it really well, was better performance. 
and and then I sort of, you know, I wrote some books and now I speak and we have a training company and, and, and I got kind of out more into the, you know, sort of real business world, if you will, not that, I mean, sports certainly is the real business world, but <laughs> more in, in sort of the day-to-day business world. And I saw the linchpin for performance, the thing that executives, leaders focused more on than their energy was their time, right? They were sort of obsessed with their calendars, where to be when and 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 I thought, man, what if what if business people took the mindset, took the strategy, took the philosophy, and even maybe some of the systems from what I helped quarterback with my athletes and coaches, and and applied it into their own lives? What would that look like? Could they perform even better? And and that is at the core of the the impetus around the book is is a process to help people have better systems, better intentionality, more clarity around how to manage their energy more effectively, which in turn lifts performance. And that's what you refer to in the book as the energy clock. Can you can you expound on that a little bit? Well, you know, what I believe is I don't think you can lead. I don't think you can serve. I don't think you can inspire. I don't think you can solve problems. I don't think you can make change. I don't think any of those things can happen if you don't have enough energy. Mm. And so to me, what the book does is it helps people audit their energy and and, and get really clear on who they give their energy to and why and, and, and for what. And, and so it's a system to help people do that because that's the only way as leaders we can inspire, we can make change, we can solve, we can serve is if we're very intentional and clear about setting our energy clock. Now, walk us through, if you would, Molly, some of the steps involved in conducting an, an energy audit. What, is, what does that look like exactly? Yeah, so this is one of my favorite things. And, and you know, for, for people, whether they buy the book or not, you know, my hope is they can lift this up and apply it to their own lives. I, I believe in life. There, there are things in, in all of our lives that lift us up, right? They give us energy, right? So we call those greens, right? So those are things like, you know, for me, it's, you know, we have three daughters and, and you know, it's, it's late night laying on the bed with them just talking, right, about the day or playing mm-hmm. golf with my husband or you know, going, going to Pilates or working out or going for a walk with the dogs. Those are things that are greens, right? Mm. And, and then, of course, lots of different business things and different things. So, so those are the greens. And then, you know, and then there's the things that are oranges, which we call sort of neutral. So those are just things in our life that, that just kind of exist, right? I mean, you know, it might be brushing your teeth, getting ready, you know, hammering through some emails potentially at times. I mean, at some level, they're, they're just sort of neutral. And so how do we become more efficient with those things? And, and then there's the reds, right? Those are the things that really drain us, right? Like we look at them on our calendar and we just think, you got to be joking me, right? Like make this go away. And they're very negative. And, and we have people in our lives like that. Potentially we have duties, we have obligations, we have things. I'm certainly not suggesting that everything in all of our lives needs to be full of greens. But what the audit helps people do is it gets really, really clear on the things that give them energy, that increase their energy, that in turn allow them to show up as their best selves, whether it's in important meetings, client conversations, calls, uh, et cetera. And, and then the oranges are, how can we be more efficient there? Or as leaders, how can we maybe delegate those things, right? How can we assess, you know, is there a more efficient way to do this? Or is there somebody else that could do this uh, for us so that we can do potentially it is what our, our, our greatest gift is. And, and then the reds are, you know, how do we remove these things? How do we ensure that we lift ourselves up enough so that when we find ourselves at having to navigate a red, that we've filled our cups up enough that those reds don't drain us 
empty, right? Don't drain us dry. So I'll give you an example. Like for me, I might have to take a red eye home from the West Coast after a keynote. But what I'll do is I'll make sure that I plan my life, my day, my schedule in such a way that when I get on that airplane to to go for the red eye, I might have done some things to get myself to a really great spot so that when I get off that airplane, I have and can show up as my best self for the people in my life that matter the most. Mm. Whereas if we go hard all day before we get on that red eye, if we don't take a little bit of time to be intentional about the way that we show up for that red eye, then maybe when we get off that plane, we show up for the people in our lives that matter most and we're still in the red, right? So, Mm. So that's what that audit Uh, does, Jeff. It helps people gain clarity. And and then we have a system to help people get intentional about inserting uh, enough greens, you know, being efficient in the oranges and and, and being intentionally and or eliminating as many reds as we can. And I I like how you suggest that teams uh, consider this audit as well. How often would you say individuals should consider an energy audit? Maybe, Maybe how often do you do one? And does that differ for, say, teams? Yeah. So, I mean, in what we've heard from our readers, our listeners uh, is is once a quarter, right? Like if once a quarter, you just reflect on your audit, right? The first one's going to take you a little bit longer than the subsequent ones. But if the first one, you get really clear on what are the things that give you energy? What are the things that are uh, energy neutral? And what are the reds? And if you get really clear on that, then if every quarter you just reflect on that, you know, is that still lifting me up? Is that still draining me? Mm. You know, are those still things that I can be more? Are there new things that have erupted in your life? Maybe there's a new client. Maybe there's a new employee. So I believe quarterly helps make sure that you have the clarity. And then what we teach people how to do is how to take the reds, oranges, and greens and color code their calendar in such a way that at a glance, they can get a good sense for how well they're navigating their energy inside of of their life, both in sort of reflecting back, right? You can look back. How Mm. did I feel? How did I do in my last 30 days? How did I do? How much red was there? Could I have done a better job in certain moments to show up as my best self? And, And then are there new things in your life? So long answer to your question, but I would say quarterly, because that clarity is what drives the intentionality and in turn the outcome and the improved performance. Mm. Talk, if you would, Molly, about the importance of, of managing your energy around those things you can't control, those things that maybe you don't have a lot of say in. Well, and I saw this firsthand with the best athletes and coaches in the world, right, is is they were incredibly intentional about controlling the controllables. And, and I hear coaches and, and, and my athletes talk about this all the time, because the more that we can focus on what we can control, we, we manage our energy, obviously, better when we do that, right? So, so for coaches, you know, you'll watch the best ones. Yeah, they might get upset about a bad call, right? They might get upset about something that a player did or, you know, or an athlete, right? They get injured. But what they pull back as fast as they can do is a they recover quickly and they say okay what can i control right i can't control ref calls mm-hmm. i can't control at some level that i just got injured and i blew out my knee what i can control now is how i navigate this how i manage my energy so that i can recover quickly and and sort of shift potentially and improve the outcome as quickly as i possibly can so there's so much noise in the world And there's so much of that noise that we can't control. And if we put energy around that noise, we're going to find ourselves pretty empty, pretty exhausted, pretty drained. But if we focus on what we can control, it allows us to to recover more quickly and to show up even better. So I saw that all the time. I mean, you'll see athletes and coaches, they get frustrated. There's no doubt about it. But the best ones, they recover quick and they shift to the controllables. Mm. Well, I loved how you described the advantages of embracing imperfection. Can you you expound on what you mean by that? 
Well, here's the thing. I think that if we're striving for perfection, it impacts our ability to lean into change. It impacts our ability to to try new things. It impacts our ability to take risk because at the core, when we lean into discomfort, when we lean into possibly doing something a different way, when we lean into something new, when we lean into something scary, you know, the odds are right that it may not work. But the truth is when we, you know, and again, I mean, and I sort of live my life inside of this metaphor of sports, but, (laughs) you know, I played tennis in college. And when my coach would say, hey, look, here's the thing, we're going to change your grip on your forehand a little bit. Well, the first five or 10, I hit them into the bottom of the net, right? (laughs) But the more that I practiced it, potentially, I I could uncover an opportunity that this could be a better way to do it, right? I mean, I saw I saw golfers rebuild their swings. and, And, you know, the first week, day, whatever it might have been, it was tough. But in the long run, maybe they got another 20 yards off the tee because of the shift that they made. So if we're chasing perfection alone, we're going to miss opportunities to take risk. We're going to miss opportunities to make change. And and, and, and I believe at the most basic level, we're going to miss opportunities to grow. Mm. So to me, it's, you know, we have three teenage daughters, 17, 16, 16. I'm always trying to talk to them about be brave, right? Be courageous. But whatever you do, don't try to be perfect, mm. right? Don't try to be perfect. Just try to be courageous and be brave because that's, in my opinion, candidly, what makes life interesting. <laughs> and it would, it's what allows us to sort of stay on this never-ending journey of personal growth and, and, and the ability to try to to, to contribute to the world in the very best way we know how and can. And, and with, with that, I've, I've seen that when it comes to, as you said, leaning into the discomfort or riding the wave of discomfort, there's pain associated with that. It's the pain of, of sacrifice and growth, right? But there's also pain if we choose not to take that route. And that pain is the regret that comes later. And so you, it's like, well, yeah. pain now, pain later. I think I'd rather have the pain now and, and, and grow a, a, and make the sacrifices I need to make. But I'm going to be a better person on the other side versus being on the other side and going, gee, I wish I'd done that, but I didn't. Right. And I think that's where you've got to ask yourself, you know, what's at risk to make the change? Mm. You know, what's really at risk to make the change? And, and the truth is change at some level means a loss of something. If, if we're going to make a change, we're probably going to let go of something. But maybe what we're letting go of, right, allows us to continue to evolve and grow. And and so I'm certainly not suggesting that it's easy, but boy, am I suggesting it's a lot more interesting, and a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah. There's an Eisenhower quote I came across recently. It says, there are no victories at bargain prices. And I think that uh, speaks to kind of what you're talking about. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. That's true. Well, I'm looking forward to adopting something you suggest in the book, something I'm not currently doing in my day-to-day planning. And that's your sort of calendar color coding technique from from the sort of green, red, orange audit you're talking about. Describe what that process looks like for you and, and your calendar. How do you implement that? Yeah, for sure. And I actually have a sample in, in the book of that, right? Mm-hmm. So, which gives people an opportunity to really see what that looks like. But, you know, to me, the first step is doing the audit, right? Once you do the audit, you get a little bit of clarity around your greens, your oranges, and your reds. And then you go out 30 days into your calendar and you assess and adjust, is sort of what I say, right? So, in other words, you assess and color code the things that um, are green for you. And you literally take those things inside of each of these days and you make them green Mm -hmm. in your calendar, right? Like you make all of those things green. And then you look at the things that are maybe the energy neutrals, the oranges, and you literally make those things orange in your calendar and you can see them. And, And then 
you know, you look at the things that really drain you. Like I said, maybe it's a, a red eye flight, right? Maybe it's a parent teacher conference <laughs> because your child's, you know, causing some trouble in the classroom, right? Maybe that's a red for you, whatever it is. It's a red. And so you literally color code it. And then what it gives you the opportunity to do is have an incredible visual to look out and say, man, look at this day. I am full of reds on this <laughs> Tuesday. And, and, and what can I do about that? What do I need to do to make sure that this doesn't cause me to unravel at some mm. level, right? Because if we have back to back to back to back reds week after week or day after day, that is not sustainable. That's not sustainable. And to me, that's what leads us to a life of waking up one day and saying, man, you know, the things that matter most to me and where I put my energy are not aligned. And, and the result of that often is a lot of frustration, personal challenges, troubles, et cetera. So what it allows people to do is to get a really quick visual and then make adjustments and as, as needed. But, but then you know, the other part of that process, right? So first you audit it. Second, you assess and adjust as you need to. But then at, at the court, it does come down to embracing sort of this system with discipline, right? And, mm. and being intentional about navigating it every week and, and removing the reds, being as efficient as you can in the reds, delegating the oranges, and trying to be making sure that you have at least one to two greens in your calendar every single day. Every single mm. day, I make sure that I've got one or two things that I know will lift me up and recharge me. Because if we don't have those, then we don't show up as our best. Mm. By identifying this on your calendar and, and color coding this, now you can see, well, where do I need to make time to sort of transition out of red into into green? Let me just make sure I'm intentional about that. Or how can I bring uh, maybe a hint of green to an orange or a red? I thought of this in terms of uh, when I commuted, I, I hated that commute. And I tried to find <laughs> ways to make it, you know, less detestable, I guess. And so for me, that was listening to audiobooks or listening to educational podcasts. And it's funny to look on, on, on that now and see how limiting my beliefs were around that because my thinking at the time was, well, this, this red has to stay. So mm -hmm. how can I make the most of it? Well, I haven't had a commute now for seven years. So I got to the point where I realized, well, this is actually a red I can eliminate if I do X, yep. Y, and Z. Absolutely. And so much of, you know, the shift that you just described with your commute, that was mental at the, at the time, right? Mm. You shifted and said, what are the things that I can do to infuse myself with great stuff inside of this commute? And you shifted your perspective, which improved the outcome a little bit. And then, of course, you obviously were able to just completely remove it. And, you know, one of the things that I believe is, is that we have a lot more control of who we give our energy to and how we do it physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, then a lot of times people are eager to actually acknowledge, mm. right? Like a lot of people would say, well, I can't not commute. <laughs> well, you, you made a shift and, mm. and now potentially, uh, you know, you're in a better place. And so we, we do have control of our energy more than I think at, at some level we can acknowledge it. Um, and, and what I hope is this book creates a place in a way for people to be intentional about it, to have the clarity around it, and to control the controllables. Mm. I know for me, getting that two hours of my life back every day was <laughs> made, made, a, made a dramatic difference. Absolutely. Well, I've got a couple of questions, uh, Molly, I want to ask, actually three or four I want to ask that aren't directly related to the book. Before I do that, though, anything else from the book you want to make sure that, that we know about? 
mean, the only thing I would say is people can access the audit for free. I mean, you, if you go to mollyfletcher.com, you can go and you go to the books tab and then, and you can get in there and get into the website for the book and, and actually download the audit and mm. lean into it um, on your own. And our publisher uh, was just terrific and helped sort of make some of these uh, available for folks for free. And and so I guess I would just encourage people to to tap into that if they'd like, just to allow them to take that first step because you know, this life thing, it's not a dress rehearsal, right? We don't get to do it twice. <laughs> and my hope with this book is, right, I, I, I lived in a world with athletes and coaches and leaders and executives where at times their ladder was sort of maybe for them leaning up against the wrong wall, right? Like mm. they're climbing hard, they're working hard, they're getting after it. But, you know, the question I believe this book helps people ask is, what am I chasing, right? And right. are my values and what matters most to me aligned with where I'm putting my energy? Mm. Because where we put our energy is where we often obviously put our time. And so what, what I hope this does is change the lens for people to, to not look at time at, as just time, but rather look at time through the lens of energy. And, and that's the shift that I hope people make. And, and starting with that audit can be really helpful. Mm. So mollyfletcher.com, they can access it. It's totally free and hopefully it helps people. Awesome. Hey, what would you say as a sports agent has been one of your most gratifying moments? Yeah, you know, Jeff, the, the moments, I mean, there was, there's a lot. I, I would say there's, there's probably two sort of scenarios. Like one would be, I, my favorite part was recruiting athletes, right? Like getting in front of these guys and, and gals and sort of helping them see that I could help them navigate this really unique window of time as a professional athlete or coach or broadcaster in a way that was different than, than other people, in a way that was authentic, that, that was really a way that put them at the front and center of, of their journey as a CEO in many ways of their own business. So mm. what was incredibly rewarding personally is, of course, you know, when an athlete, everybody's trying to, to get in front of these guys and gals. And so, you know, getting them to trust you and to believe you and to know that you're authentic in your approach to serving them mm. um, and, and watching sort of that transition. Sometimes it took six months, sometimes it took a year. But when you show up consistently and you serve people, and, and I believe if you sort of at some level act like you have the business before you have the business, you, you can drive connection in an authentic way and be relational in that approach. And so it, it, watching that transition happen, you know, watching an athlete say, no, 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 we're really good. And then six months later, being on the beach, toasting to champagne as they come on board as a client, that was really powerful. And, mm. and, and, but I would say the other things were the moments where we had a baseball player once, he needed another like 54 days in the big leagues to get his pension for the rest of his life. Mm. And we were able to get him on a roster for, you know, those days so that he could get his pension for the rest of his life. And he was just 54 days short in the big leagues, right? Mm. So, you know, those were the things that were the most rewarding when you felt like and you knew that you were not just, I mean, to me, it was never about the contract or the money or making a guy a whole lot of money. Right. It, it was always about putting them in a spot that they wanted to be in, right? Whether it was the right team or the right, you know, situation or the right setting or getting a trade done that they wanted or, you know, getting a job that they wanted. It didn't matter how, how much it was. It was because it, it was a challenge or an opportunity to go from, you know, the college level to the NBA level or to, you know, uh, to, to go to a, to a hometown team versus where they were. Those are the moments when you knew that you were impacting their life and their family's life, most importantly, in a really powerful way. I love that. Well, when you're diving into books, let's say, what are, what are a couple that you've encountered over the course of your career, Molly, that have impacted you in a, in a significant way? You know, 
the all chemist is a book that I just really love mm. um, because to, to me, it's just, it, it just gets right down to what I think what matters most, which is really getting clear on your purpose in life mm. and what you're here to do and, and why. And so I love that book. And, and, you know, I, I'm a big fan of, and he's been on my podcast, which I'm grateful for Ryan holiday's work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the obstacles away. I mean, all of sort of his stuff is so well thought out, which then drove me down this lane of stoics. And so, you know, in philosophers and, you know, I'm reading a book, you know, the Republic of Plato right now. And Mm. so you look at some of these people who studied what, you know, kind of what is an excellent life. And that is really interesting to read in part because of the work um, that I do. But it it really helps you get clear. And, And when you see what, you know, some of these philosophers studied so, so long ago and where we are today and what is natural and what is human, as much as things have changed, they haven't. Mm. So books like that, the challenge you think are, are, are pretty powerful. So, that, so those are a couple that come up for me, Jeff. I'm, I've read from the Daily Stoic every day this year so far. I haven't missed a day. Yeah, me so. too, man. <laughs> I know. Isn't that just a great one? Yeah, he's a, he's He is one smart dude. Yeah. Had a chance to hear him speak at a conference a few years ago. Very, very enjoyable. Well, what do you do when it comes to retaining what you read or ensuring you actually implement things you've learned that you want to put into practice? Any particular tips or tricks for you personally? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, inside of any book that I read, right in that front cover, I I capture anything that's interesting to me, right? So in addition to maybe highlighting, underlining, writing in, mm. et cetera, I'll also go grab things and just put it at the front of the book. And then things that I really want to lift up and make sure that I apply it to my own life. I have a, a little notebook that I write those things in there. So mm. so the notebook's a conglomeration of lots of different books that I read and, and thoughts that come up for me that I really want to apply to my own life. Um, and, and then I go even deeper just inside the cover of the book. Because to me, you know, I love to consume information, but at some level, sometimes if I'm not being intentional about capturing it, you know, information without action is just all a bunch of noise. Right. right. So <laughs> I think that you've got to make sure that you're you're consuming it in a way that allows you to take action on it or think about it or process it. And that's, mm. you know, it's, it's powerful. It's fun. I, I like that uh, process. That's something I've done as well is sort of create an index, if you will, in, yeah. the, in the front of the book. Yeah. As a successful speaker, you're doing keynotes pretty regularly or at least pre-COVID. Uh, I'm sure you were and, and would love to hear how uh, that's impacting what you're doing. But what are what are some of your tips for delivering an impactful and, and memorable public talk? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, normal times I'm, you know, speaking 60 to 70 times a year and now I'm doing it mostly virtual now, which Mm is um, different, but you know, again, kind of inside of the, the why for me, you know, it's to, to lead, inspire and connect with courage and optimism. So whether you're doing it uh, via, via the green dot on the screen (laughs) of your computer and through video um, or live still allows you to try to try to make an impact. But you know, for me, I'm a big story person, right? I mean, all most of my keynotes are full of stories and experiences that I've had mm. uh, with the athletes and coaches and leaders that I've worked with. And how can we lift those stories up and apply it to our own lives, right? And so when people hear stories about some of the best baseball players or, or coaches in the world and they go, wow, that's how they dealt with change. Man, I wonder if that's something that I can <laughs> lift up and apply to my own life. So mm. stories are huge. 
And, and I think that uh, the way that you show up in your own life needs to be the way that you show up on stage too, right? So for me, the person right here right now is the same one on the stage. And so I've never had a speaking coaching lesson in my entire <laughs> life, right? I mean, it's just, um, and, and, you know, but I think one of the most important things to connect to an audience is to prepare. And one of the most important things to me is to get really clear on who is the audience? What are they worried about? What are they excited about, right? What are their challenges right now? What's the gap? Hmm. What are the two? to three things that we want to make sure that we impact or change inside of that hour, right? You can, in an hour, keynote or however long, 45 minutes, whatever it is, you can make a little bit of change, of course, and that's the goal. And so to me, it's not about, you know, when people say, man, that's so, you're a motivational speaker. It's like, no, I, I want to be a behavior change speaker, mm -hmm. right? I, I want to make sure that I don't just make people feel great for 45 minutes or an hour. What's incredibly important is to know what movement, what change we want to see happen in the lives of the people in the room. And so understanding what they wake up and, and worry about and do every day, understanding what's the top 10% of that room doing and how can we take the other 90, if you will, and I'm just using those numbers as an example, and move them to a place that allows them to, to show up and serve, you know, kind of in, in that 10%. Well, finally, uh, Molly, what's ahead for you and your team uh, for the remainder of 2020 and beyond that uh, you're excited about and are able to, to share with us? Yeah, for sure. I appreciate you asking, Jeff. We're launching something called Game Changer Leadership Huddles, which mm. are a monthly sort of coaching session around various topics. And we're right in the middle of launching that right now. It's going to be incredibly exciting. Um, you know, we've sort of opened the floodgates on it. People are beginning to sign up. Game Changer Leadership Huddles is one of the most exciting things. And people can find out more about that at mollyfletcher.com. But, you know, they're one hour uh, coaching sessions with groups. And it's it's going to be, uh, I mean, the excitement's building and it's, it's incredibly exciting. I mean, we're at a time in our life where people at some level, I think, need a mindset shift. You know, a lot of people talk about performance and performance matters, no question. And I talked about it earlier in our conversation, but the, the, the way to shift performance is to shift the mindset first. Mm. And so these game changer leadership puddles are going to help leaders do a bit of a mindset reset at some level. So it's going to be powerful. It's going to be fun. Well, I was just uh, noticing on your uh, website uh, under the books tab that you referenced a moment ago that there are endorsements from people like Seth Godin and Michael Hyatt and Laura Vanderkam and Dan Pink and on and on and on. All of them recommending this book highly. I recommend you check it out and pick it up. Take you about an hour, hour and a half to read. It took me a little longer because I took notes as I went along, but it won't take, <laughs> won't take very long to read it all. And it's, I think, a great resource for you going forward. The book, again, is called The Energy Clock, Three Simple Steps to Create a Life Full of Energy and Live your best every day. Molly, thank you so much for being a part of the Read to Lead podcast. Appreciate your time and thank you for answering my question so willingly. Absolutely, Jeff. It's an absolute pleasure. To find out more about Molly, to check out those links she mentioned, the books she recommended, and more, visit the page I've created on my website just for that purpose. It's easy to remember. Read to lead podcast.com slash 329 for episode 329. If I can help with your next in-person or virtual event, reach out to me directly, Jeff, at readtoleadpodcast.com. That's also where you can write me if you have questions, suggestions, comments, or feedback on the Read to Lead podcast. 
Once more, that's Jeff at ReadToLeadPodcast.com. Finally, a quick programming note. In two weeks, we'll be sitting down with former Walt Disney World Vice President Dan Cockrell to talk about his book, How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? And while today we learn from sports about how to live your best every day, next week from the world of sports, we'll focus on leadership as we talk with Craig Custance and dig into his book, Behind the Bench, Inside the Minds of Hockey's Greatest Coaches. That and more coming up right here on the Read to Lead podcast. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the podcast. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 